0: This is Film Schooled. Grab your popcorn. Class is about to begin. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Film School podcast. Today's guest is Colin Krauchuk. Colin started making annual Halloween shorts over on his YouTube channel, and one in particular, titled The Jester, accumulated 16 million views and spawned two sequels. Colin is now taking this character to the next level with the feature film the jester. Definitely go check out his film. It's available on demand, and you can check out his shorts over on YouTube if you haven't seen them already. But let's go ahead and start my conversation with Colin krauchuk
1: There it is. Come on. Yo, see you good. Trick or treat. I tried.
0: Wait, wait, please. I have hated this man my entire life. I know you know what you did to cover up for something inside your gut. It is festering, gnawing at you. I know you can feel it and try to bury it. But that rod is spreading, a decaying hole swallowing your heart. Man, there's blood on you, is it yours? I never really believed in ghosts. you really blew up on YouTube um, first thing. That was kind of like the the start of all of this. And it, it got me thinking because there's creators like Mr. Beast that talk about like YouTube's the end game. Like this is what I want to do is like YouTube. I'm all in on YouTube. Um, not interested in like Hollywood or jumping into movies, things like that. For you, when you got started creating, what was your end game?
1: Hmm. I don't think youtube was the end game i think youtube was a venue a platform for us to just kind of get our stuff out there to whoever wanted to see it um as far as end game it would be i think to make a feature film um i don't think we thought it was realistic i don't think thought it was a, a a realistic thing but it was like if somebody were to ask, it would be like, well, yeah, obviously we want to make movies. Like, that's, that's what we want to do. Sure. You know, you Graduate film school. And you have that question of, well, now what, right. like, what do we, what do we do? And right. some people went into the, like the corporate world. Some people went into, you know, videography and things like that. And we just kind of, we really just wanted to do our own thing. And we wanted to feel like we were making things that we really wanted to make. And we didn't really know what was going to happen. We just knew that, you know, if we're not making things that we want to be making, then what is the point of putting yourself through all that?
0: Right, right. Exactly. Well, well, talk to me about like first diving into the concept, you know, that eventually would lead to a feature, but sitting down to do the gesture for the first time and approaching that first, what was the inspiration for it? Um, And then what was the process of like sitting down to work through it? Was it something you expected no one to see, but it's something to kind of get, keep yourself in motion? Was it something that you're like, let's engineer this to, you know, go viral the way it did? Um, How much strategy was going into that initial concept?
1: The same amount of strategy as all of our previous things, which was zero strategy. It was, we, we had no idea how to, how to promote ourselves or, you know, get, Views and likes and things like that. We were just, you know, somebody at some point said, if people want to see our stuff, they will find it eventually. And as far as making the Jester shorts, it's just funny. I love this question because I, I so want to have like a really inspirational answer, but it mm. <laughs> isn't one. It was a, we, we, It was like our annual tradition um, to make a horror short film every October. And, you know, we'd say, yeah, let's make a horror short on like October 25th. And then (laughs) be surprised when it doesn't come out in time for Halloween. But uh, we had done uh, something called Creep, which was, you know, guy in a mask, essentially. And crazy guy in a mask with a baseball bat. And then we did something called On My Way, which was way more ambitious than anything we've mm-hmm. really attempted since, which was our our attempt at like the fake one shot short yeah. film. And uh it, it was back when you're young and dumb. Too dumb to know that that how hard that would be. <laughs> so, yeah. uh but yeah, that w- that was populated again with like antagonistic characters that were all wearing masks because we were reusing the same Actors, since there were only five of us. So you just throw somebody in a different sweater and a different mask, and now they're a different guy. And yeah. they're all kind of the same. Um, so when it came, you know, 2016, we were gonna do another horror short. And I just wanted to do something that was completely different from the other two, which were all like, what if a crazy person had an implement and they ran around in a mask? It's like, well, so uh the It was, well, what if we did the opposite of that? What if it was something that was, you know, he, he operated differently. He was always in complete control of the situation. He kind of loved what he did and uh, just was was distinguished and put together in, in kind of an unsettling way. And we kind of built the look around the mask that we had found when we were doing our uh, our mask hunt. For on my way, we just grabbed all the cheapest masks you could find at like a party city. And then at once on my way a shot, we found that it was just called Jester mask in a Walgreens for $6 and it's like, oh man, we should have got that. That's a really cool mask. And so we we bought it for $6 and we just kind of built the, the look of the suit around that. And even the look of the suit was not fully formed. It was something that we found, you know, because we went to a, a uh, spirit Halloween and they had those like bright orange suits on the clearance rack. So we saved yeah. a lot of money, <laughs> but the, right, the, I didn't like the fact that it was so orange and the uh, uh, guy who was working at the store did like the laziest sales pitch where I was like, do you have anything else that's like, not so bright and orange. And he was like, nah, but, uh, you know, orange is like Halloween. And I was like, that's a good point. I'll take it. (laughs) So we, yeah. And and that's part of the, when you look at the jester in the shorts and in the, the feature, he's all kind of dirty and dinged up. Right. And that was our attempt to break up a lot of that orange and not make it look so bright. And so like it came off a rack at a, at a Halloween store, just make him look, it helps them give them texture and make them look a little dingy and lived in. And he looks normal from a distance and then you get close and it's like, Oh, something's a little, a little off about this guy.
0: Right. Right. Well, it is, I, you mentioned like wanting to give this inspirational answer. It is something that's, that's funny is like, it is a really inspiring thing. I think to see one that you've done a couple of these and, you know, had some success, but then like you have this one, that's just like the others. It's like we're just gonna go do this act and hope, right. you know, basically hope that we can finish something. And then yeah. to have it actually gain traction is really cool. And then beyond that, of course, which we'll get into in a minute, getting into an actual feature film deal, like that's like the dream, right? You know, like sitting down yeah. to do it. So talk to me about putting out the jester short and what was the time frame from like hitting publish to like watching that bell curve go, oh, now we have 16 million views <laughs> on this video. Like, um, what was that like? And how quickly did it take to gain that kind of traction?
1: It was weird because, uh, like I said, On My Way was kind of the thing that we were like, oh, this is going to get noticed because it's like wild right. what we're attempting to do. And that one even got uh, talked about on on like Film Riot's channel. Right. I thought wow. that was going to be the thing that, that uh i don't know got us some bit of notice and then we just put out the jester which was just as scrappy of a production as anything else that we had done there was nothing like profoundly different in our process of going to clearance racks and things like that to make a, a short film and for some reason it just the views kept climbing and then you check back two weeks later and, and suddenly it's up to you know two you you're like where did that come from? And then two weeks late, like the, the, it would, it would kind of plateau. And then a little while later it would shoot back up. So it kind of kept hitting yeah. these, like these rises where I guess some part of the magic YouTube algor- algorithm would scoop it up. And I don't know, it just combination of the right, showing it to the right people with the right thumbnail. And right. Uh, it, yeah, it, it, it ballooned up incredibly fast that once it hit a million hmm. and then it's just been kind of occasionally it'll just hit those bumps it'll just yeah. keep going up it's yeah. like the slowest viral video of all time
0: <laughs> right well now there's a, a couple of them that you've done for YouTube and you've you know they have all done very well um I know you didn't go into it with the plan for that to be the case like when you start seeing those numbers was that the moment you go now let's start putting together a pitch to put this out there. Now do we create a plan or was it like, okay, let's do something else and see if that works. Like, did it kick in instantly? Like, Oh, we need to double down and keep, keep pushing these out.
1: Yeah. That the latter for sure. <laughs> uh, we should have done the, we should build a pitch for this just in case anything happens. But uh, we did not, we definitely talked about it. We talked about it a lot. And this, hard not to when you when you Mm -hmm. see those numbers and you get all these people talking about it on the internet and uh among a lot of that discourse is these guys should make the gesture feature film these guys should turn into a netflix series or whatever and so you know that that you'll just ask each other what would that be like if we were to do that like what would that look like and the conversation would always end up in the same place which is like it probably wouldn't work like it just the, the the shorts were made to be shorts. You know, we yeah. wanted we wanted the gesture to feel like an urban legend, and there's only enough substance there for ten minutes at a time. And uh um, you know, we we even said like, well, what if we did like a trick or treat thing where it's like an anthology and the gesture kind of ties them all together?" And it's like, "Yeah, but like trick or treat did that." <laughs> oh, so, I don't know. It's like it's how do you how do you make something that doesn't feel derivative but also feels like it honors the source material of the shorts that you made it's a really difficult um difficult thing to to try to balance and figure out but yeah it, it, the jester did kind of become this uh this uh specter that hung over us because You know, you'd you'd get all this traction on the Jester, and now it's like, oh man, I wonder what they'll think of this short that we make. And then you make that, and all the comments for that short are, "When's the next Jester movie coming out?" It's like, ah, no one cares about what else we want to make. It's all about this, which is great. And I think that kind of started after you know, we we did uh, the second one, I believe, the next year, and that I think was what started the the trend of expectation. And it was really just us saying this is the first time we're going to attempt to do a sequel to one of our own shorts what is that like yeah uh just trying something new right. and then it turned into well now Halloween's coming guys where's your gesture short and it's like right. oh man what have we done
0: <laughs> yeah right exactly um well how how did the transition happen then from you know like you said the slowest viral video ever like you go from 2016 to now, obviously it's still potent. There's still people checking it out to then now it's 2023. We're talking because you've got a legitimate feature film that's being distributed, which, you know, with, I saw your post the other day, like with an actual budget and like people who actually know what they're doing and like all of these, all these things, like, how did that actually come to fruition? And like, Was it someone reaching out to you saying like, it's time, like you should be doing this. Was it something where you did start shopping around to different people? Like what was kind of that, that process like?
1: Um, Luckily, somebody reached out to us because we've never been good at that shopping around. thing. And even then, you know, after the first gesture came out in the, in those years in between now and then we, I did get contacted on social media by a couple people who I had a few conversations with and they were all the kind of like, you know, I'm a, I'm a real producer and, you know, I, 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 uh, have a standing dinner with Robert Downey Jr. Once a week and all these things. And you look them up and there's no information on this person. It's like, "Mm -hmm. I don't know about this. Uh, and then I did get contacted by, uh, Patrick Ewald, who is the, the head of Epic pictures. And, you know, he was saying, I'm a real guy. <laughs> you can look me up and I want to see if you're interested in turning the jester into a feature film and you would be the director and you can write it if you'd like and bring the guy who played the jester too. Cause he's great. Wow. And it's, yeah, it's, it's like, a you always hope to get that call. And then when you do get it, it's like, okay, but like, who is this? Right. right. (laughs) What's going on here? And then when you find out it's real, it's like, this is actually terrifying. This Mm. is uh, suddenly, I don't know, this, this choice is put in front of you that you always wanted and you thought you'd be ready for. And then when it, when it actually comes, it is a little more intimidating than you expected. And, uh, but you know, I told myself, if you don't say yes to this, you're going to regret it. Mm. So,
0: yeah. 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 Well, you, you mentioned the freedom to kind of, I mean, stay on as director, stay on as writer, like bring in basically, you know, not given financially a blank check, I'm sure, but given the chance to, you know, bring along people who had been involved in the shorts and carry over a lot of that creative energy, um, which one I think is super noble to do that because I think some people get that call and then go like, Screw everybody that's been making shorts with me. I'm going to go, you know, run off and do my thing. I think that's cool. On the flip side, though, like I mentioned, you said, I get to work with people who actually know what they're doing. I have access to a pool of people that I've never would have had access to through my network. Um, Did you have any tough decisions as far as, you know, maybe I should recast somebody or maybe I should bring in, you know, what do I have access to? Should we audition some people? Or was it just like, that's not an option? Like, we got to keep all the same people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mike who plays the jester was the only um
0: Mike carryover kind of
1: you yeah he was the only carryover from the the shorts and the people that I normally work with here in Florida but he also was the only one that I mean I probably if I really wanted to could have said who do you have that could play the jester mm-hmm. and yeah. could have could have changed that but there was no way like I wasn't gonna but it's like in in I don't know to me it, it it's kind of fruitless to try to figure out why the shorts became so popular right because then you might decide on something that actually isn't the hmm. the reason you know we, we see it in, in filmmakers all the time where a movie comes out if it's the first one in a, in a franchise that they end up creating or the, the their first film, and it's like oh man this was good it was almost great mm-hmm. and i can't wait to see what they do next and then what they do next kind of accentuates all the issues that were with the first one and it's like oh mm-hmm. i guess they didn't know what made the first one great and they kind mm-hmm. of went in a different direction or whatever and it's like i don't i don't want to change anything about the gesture right. from the shorts i don't want to change the actor because maybe maybe it's mike maybe he's the reason that People love that character so much. So as much as I could keep the same um, from the short films, I I desperately wanted to. And yeah. yeah, I, I also needed to, I knew I needed to surround myself with people who had the experience that none of us uh, making the shorts really had. Like I, sure. it couldn't be us five guys who always make the stuff going then to make a, a feature film because we would be completely out of our depth so i'd needed right. to be surrounded with like you know i can't i can't bring this person for my crew because i would need somebody here with more experience to kind of lean on when i need that shooting a feature for the first time cuz you know never having written or directed a feature film never even been on a feature film set it's like there is a – I know there's going to be a lot to learn and i need to i need people to learn from
0: you know, Mike's obviously no small part of what does work, you know, like that's, <laughs> I mean, he's your main character, you know, and and I think a lot of times too that gets undervalued when it is somebody in a mask. Um, you know, look at with Friday the 13th, you know, Kane Hodder was such a big piece of those later movies. Like the movies got worse and the Jason got better. And then yeah. when it came time for like Freddy versus Jason, it's like we're bringing back Robert England and then we've got some random guy we threw in a mask, you know, which I don't want to downplay him playing it, but it was like, they didn't even think to ask this guy who's brought the character to life. You know, there's somebody underneath that performing and you see franchises do that all the time. And I think you would have had a riot on your hands from people who'd been watching the shorts. Cause there's some hardcore Jester fans just on YouTube, like analyzing the character and like commenting all these theories and things, which I think is really interesting. Um, going into that like obviously you say you don't want to mess with what makes it work behind the camera too much like there's elements here that we just need to carry over because it's part of that melting pot of things that make this <laughs> mysterious thing just happen um on the flip side you're taking it from 10 minute shorts so you've got like a combined maybe 30 minutes of material so far like okay. do you treat that all as Bible or when you're sitting down to go into this new script for it you know, hour and a half movie, are you going, let's dive into mythology? How much backstory do we give? Does the jester talk a lot more, you know, like how much of a conversation was that in terms of like, we can't just stretch the short, you know, we've got to bring in some other layers to it. Um, but also if we touch things in the shorts that people love, they're going to be pissed. <laughs> you know, we've got to, we've got to balance that really well.
1: Right. Yeah. This, this is a huge topic and something that was definitely talked about a lot. That version that you're talking about, the the mythology and the lore and everything, it was something that I was uh, hesitant with because so, so much of, I mean, you you had already mentioned it. You know, you see people in the comments for the videos, there's discourse of their own theories and, and talking about, and th- those things are so interesting to me. It's like why would I why would I want to take that stuff away from an audience by just explaining some derivative backstory to the jester character? I want to hear everybody else's stories. It's it's just like it's it is. I mean, on the topic of of magic tricks and everything, it's like even the simplest trick can the the simpler it is, oftentimes the more astounding it can be, and you just want to know. You just want to know how it's done. And then it's explained to you and you go, oh, all right. And then you move on. And it's like, I don't want that with the jester. I don't want everyone to be like, where's he come from, though? Like, what is he? And then you explain it. Oh, he's like a demon. And everyone goes, oh, okay. (laughs) It loses all the kind of the mystique and the interest and you lose that discourse. But that was something that when trying to... that that was a big, a big concern of mine was I don't want to make going from making just short films to suddenly trying to write a feature. I don't want to make a 90 minute feature feel like a 90 minute short.
0: Yeah. uh,
1: That is, that is what we were doing in the beginning was we were focusing so heavily because there are jester rules. uh, And we, we, we softly establish those in the shorts and try to keep them as, as, Light and as vague as possible, hmm. and trying to nail that stuff down in, in the first version of our script that we were writing was a lot of like, what is the jester? What are the rules? What? Mm-hmm. How does he? How does he function? And then we realized like this story kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. Like this is not interesting. I don't care about. I I personally don't care about this stuff. I don't care about mm-hmm. where the jester comes from. I don't care about how he works. I don't care about. But more importantly, in this version of the story, I don't care about these characters. Mm. They're all horror archetypes that are one-dimensional and just uh meat bags for the jester to come into contact with. Right. And so we had two weeks to come up with a, a treatment for a feature film, and we spent seven days of that two weeks coming up with this first idea before we looked at each other and went, uh <laughs> good. Yeah. and Spent so the next seven days, just desperately trying to figure out, you know, asking ourselves questions about these characters. And then that's when we developed this, this, you know, relationship between these two sisters. And that kind of became the focus. And it was like, all right, so we're going to do this story where the jester actually is more of an ingredient in mm-hmm. it rather than a focus. Yeah. And I think it's able, I don't know, to me, it's it's just... I knew when we submitted that idea that it was going to be very different from what people who maybe like the shorts are expecting from a feature. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we were like, I don't know, it's kind of cool that it is different. And it's yeah. the same gesture, he's just in a different story. And we got to run with it and and make something that we wanted to make, which was important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's huge. Uh, you, you mentioned some of the rules that you had. And I think I can infer some from watching the shorts, but if you had to give like a couple of those rules that were like, we cannot break this, you know, like they notoriously, like on small, but we like, Superman does not fly in the show. Like, we're not doing that. We're not doing, it was no flights, no tights. Like that was their rule, like no costume, no flying in the show, which they kind of loosely broke later on. But for, for you, what were those like non-negotiable, like maybe top three things where you're like the jester does not do these things like no matter what we do with the script no matter if he is a demon or a magician that turned into something or whatever that is like we're not doing these three things
1: oh that's really interesting because i know there are some but sometimes when when talking about these ideas when when characters do have gesture encounters it is fun to say like what if we did something completely off the wall and just uh i mean one of them obviously is he will never talk out of his own face we did do something i thought was interesting in the the feature where the jester does kind of communicate in a in a different way that was was something new from anything he's done in the shorts and i really like that scene but uh yeah you're never going to hear like this coming from behind the mask (laughs) or like some kind of demon voice that people yeah that's that's not going to happen uh, the jester's probably never gonna fire a gun. Right? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> just he's never gonna pull out a, a a handgun and shoot somebody with it. It's just, I don't know. There's uh, when when trying to develop the jester, uh, I don't know, aesthetic or language. It's always keeping trying to keep things kind of timeless. You know, when mm-hmm. he uses implements, it's like it's kind of uh, vague in terms of period, like the, the weapons Mm -hmm. that he uses, like knives, um, or like rope or, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, he's not using like strong nylon rope. He's using the the hemp rope. That's just like, it's stuff that you can still buy now and stuff that you could have made a hundred years ago. Like it's, Mm -hmm. we try to keep that kind of stuff to, uh, he's, he is just kind of, it's ambiguous to when he even exists and when he operates. Um, I know there was a period where we were going to try to not show the jester walking mm-hmm. in the shorts. We had, we had talked about that. And, uh, but part of the, I love seeing the jester walk. So I don't know why we, we even, it's just an idea that we threw out and then completely yeah. abandoned um, there for the third one. I will just say, just because it's a thing that I cut out of one of the shorts that we had a shot where the jester high fives somebody in one of the shorts and that, really was sucked and I cut it out. So maybe mm-hmm. the Jets probably will never high five somebody. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> there we go. Um yeah, I was curious was curious about those. Um yeah, I liked you mentioned the scene where he communicates, um, and I had the chance to I won't get into spoilers for somebody who's listening, so don't don't panic. Um but you know watching the the film you mentioned like him communicating in a way that was different than what he has before. Um which I mean for me, my like that was top three scenes for me in the movie was that I thought like this is a really interesting take. It's kind of creepy because as you're figuring that out, <laughs> like, oh, this yeah. is this is what is happening right now. Like I love moments like that. It's kind of a it's kind of like a really, really like bizarre take on like the calls coming from inside the house, <laughs> you know, kind of <laughs> kind of yeah. moment. Yeah. Um I love that opening scene um on the bridge. Like for me, that really, it was where I was like, okay, this is like, uh, this is a movie, you know, like it it was like that, (laughs) a very Harry Styles moment. It's a movie. It feels like a movie, but I love that moment. And I think what's so important, especially is like, you have, um, you have that performer like really selling that phone conversation. And then you mentioned like, not showing the gesture walk, but like him kind of like, segueing, it lessens the impact, but kind of segueing into the shot, you know, just kind of hovering in, I think was really cool. And then the third, which I want to talk about is the scene in the, uh, the corner market with the police, which I think is, I have to imagine when you're writing the script, you're like, how the hell do we do this moment? <laughs> yeah. um, Cause it's definitely the most ambitious, you know, sequence in the movie, at least from watching where you're like, how do you do this uh, you know, this is not a Marvel movie, so you don't have the budget of like that kind of scale of production. So um, talk to me a little bit about that moment specifically. Um, and, and for my own curiosity, how did you do the him hovering into scenes? Was he like just on a little dolly track or was he on a segue? And I do think we should see the gesture on a segue anyway. Like, I think that would be a good rule to to throw out there. Like he segues everywhere.
1: But. Yeah, that's the that's the fun thing about the jester. You <laughs> can just could be anything. To, yeah, we've wanted him to drive a, a a Mustang backwards into a scene before. Mm. It just, whatever, whatever the jester is allowed to be weird. Like he's yeah. required to be weird. So I love that kind of stuff. And uh, for the for him kind of hovering into a couple of the shots. Yeah, we had I believe it was sixteen feet of dolly track. all mm. so we had. But then by the time you put the dolly on the track, it's about 12 feet of dolly track.
0: And you didn't Uh, do that in the shorts at all, right? That hovering effect. Okay. I was going to say, I watched the shorts first and then watched the movie. And I was like, I don't remember seeing that, but that is such a cool, creepy aesthetic versus, you know, in the shorts you had utilized the, we cut here and then he's here. And then we cut here and he's here or like passing behind somebody disappears. Like a lot of those, like, like old school movie tricks and i was like this hovering movement is really is really really neat um anyway sorry <laughs> i just want to throw that out
1: yeah i mean it, it was and we we tried to implement it in certain parts of the story where uh characters are feeling a certain way so that the way that it's framed the gesture is kind of growing mm-hmm. it, it, it has less of a growing effect i feel like if you see him walking but if you see him floating it's just kind of scaling up in frame while these yeah. characters feelings those those uh negative feelings that they're experiencing are also growing within them but the the dolly was i don't know it, if mike stood on the dolly since mike is a tall guy but also the dolly is a couple inches raised above the ground he would have been just out of the out of the frame so anytime you see him on that dolly in the feature he's sitting on a box Mm-hmm. And just acting like he's standing because he needs to match the the same height that he would have been had he been standing. So he's sitting while uh I think two or three crew members are pulling him on a rope slowly with the dolly. And yeah, that that's a thing that you have to when you're making something at this level that you have to stand by because it takes time to set up dolly tracks and we're not right. we're not setting those tracks up for anything else. Right. We just can't. There's 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 no time making this. And uh you have to say like, okay, we're doing this. Are we doing this shot, the, the Dolly shot? And you go, Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, we are. I'm um I'm, I'm uh sealing that right now. We're hmm. we're committing to it and we're gonna set up the tracks and we're gonna eat as much time as it takes to get this shot of the j- jester just kind of floating up. Uh, a little bit in the background, so yeah. yeah, yeah, balancing the um you know what it's worth with how much time and money it's gonna. Because time is money, how much resources you're right. gonna suck up.
0: Yeah, was that similar for that police station sequence? Because I have to imagine that was not a quick time to shoot. I mean, maybe it was, but um in that sequence, there's a lot of like trickery in camera and like moving around and like costume things and all that. Um, Was that the same thing where it's like, how big do we want this to go? Because it's going to cut into our time to shoot dialogue sequences or other moments throughout the movie. Like, did you originally want to go bigger? Did it, was it something where it was like, we just got to plan this shot by shot and shoot through it as quick as we can. Like, what was that process like?
1: That was something that was, shot in the last uh, couple days of production. So by then we knew kind of what our faults were in like how we were operating and what needed to change. And this uh, corner market scene was very intimidating to us because we were like, you know, if things have been going well, as well as they've been going, this corner market scene is going to be a disaster to shoot. So, uh, you know, it involves special effects and certain certain lighting effects, and you know we have a we have a kind of a gesture double swap at one point in camera. That was a that was a very specifically planned shot, and then everything once the the action starts, essentially in that scene. Um, you know, I I I made a shot list for every single scene in the movie up until this scene, and I just realized like. The shot list at this level where we're trying to move as fast as possible uh, sometimes was holding us back hmm. because we would shoot things with the intention of getting these other shots later. And then since those shots weren't essential later, they would have to be cut because we would just be running out of time. So the shot list was kind of hindering us a lot. Yeah. So for that corner market scene, was the only scene where I told uh, Joe, the DP, I said, let's just play. Let's just wing it and see like... Just, we'll we'll shoot based on the words on the script and that's it. Not I'm not going to make a shot list for this scene because we have to move fast. We have to make sure we get everything and not, are not cutting things out. So yeah, I did. I would have liked to have gone bigger. Uh, of course, like yeah, right, right. With, yeah, with, with every with every. Do you scene. want unlimited oh.
0: budget and time? Yes, I do. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I would like unlimited. I don't know if a <laughs> limited is so if if I had unlimited time the movie would never come out. I sure. think that, uh, Good a, lot point. Of, a lot of directors would probably say that is there there would always be something you oh we could just go back and we could we could change this thing and we could add in something here. Oh well, why don't we reshoot this whole scene? Like there'd always be something to change and your movie would just never come out and right. if it did it would look completely different from what you originally intended. Right. So I think limitations are important but man like a little, a little looser on the limitations
0: next time yeah. would be uh, great. Would be yeah. fantastic. Well, well, let me ask you that. You, you mentioned it's a big learning experience. Like this is your first feature, so like you're, you know, I mean, school of hard knocks. Like you're learning by doing. Yeah. Like, um, you know, and I and I have to imagine like when I've whenever I worked on any project, like I'm always going. You get like halfway through and you're like, oh my God, like I wish I could redo those last two weeks or this last week because I would have done everything different. I would have lit this differently. I would have done all this this work a different way. For you, in hindsight, if you were starting day one on set and you could take one lesson that you learned through the course of actually making the movie and apply it from the get-go, what would you do? And or what would you focus on? I guess based on that experience.
1: Just one lesson.
0: Just one. I mean, you can give more than one, but I tried to (laughs) maybe top one or two.
1: Yeah. I think, um, communication is always going to be the number one thing in any job, not just directing, not just filmmaking, but any aspect of your life probably could be improved with better communication. (laughs) Right. So, um, I mean, I, I, I knew that going into this, but I still think it could have been clear. I, 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 like, Don't be afraid of redundancy in communication, just mm-hmm. making sure that everybody's on the same page. Everybody knows what is coming next and everybody knows where we're all going to be headed and what we're all going to be focused on because that just makes everything so much more efficient rather mm-hmm. than people asking what's next people yeah. waiting around being told for what's next. I think it's just better to take the time and, and and don't worry if it feels like you're, I don't know. It might feel like you're, Oh, everybody knows what they're doing. It's like, no, mm. we can all like there, there is a safety in making sure that everybody is on the same page and everybody knows what we're all trying to do. Yeah. And you don't want, um, Seven different people thinking we're making seven different movies. Yeah.
0: I want to dig just a hair deeper into that because this is something that's come up in a lot of conversations with everyone I've talked to, whether they're in makeup departments, whether they're directing, comes up with directors a lot, Um, cinematographers, like everybody has their own unique talents and skills. And, you know, you're working with some people who have done several feature films, you know, or, or know this world. And, and then you've got, you're obviously were hired for a reason because you eyeballed something that worked. And I'm always fascinated by filmmaking is so collaborative, but also everybody in their own way is a bit of an auteur where it's like, I do my thing really well. So stepping in as a director, where do you draw the balance between this is my movie and vision, and this is what I want to see happen. Cause you have to have your hand on the wheel. right? And where do you draw that line between that? And then deferring to this DP has shot several movies. And I hired him because he has specific skills. Like you can't just totally delegate everything. Like, where do you decide, like, this is worth a battle or this is worth, you know, just completely deflecting and deferring onto them. Like, how do you draw that, that balance?
1: Yeah a is a great question and a great, uh, it, it, it's, it's something that I thought about a lot uh, when working on this is, you know, what it, 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 you start to think about like, what is my job exactly here? <laughs> yeah. You know, especially going from making short films where you kind of wear every hat, you know, yeah. if you're five guys making a short, you're not just the director. Yeah. So, um, having all these people on set who now are responsible for their own departments and their own positions. It's a, it's a definitely a change that you, you have to adjust to, but I think a big part of the job in my own, probably limited understanding of the job currently is uh, directors are, are kind of managers of tone in Mm. the movie. They're the ones who have to keep the big picture in mind. And absolutely, I think it's important. Like you said, it's 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 a infinitely collaborative process. And if you're the type of person to say, no, we're doing things my way, and my way is the only way, you're going to lose out on a lot of great yeah. insight and input from all those people that you are surrounded by. You Know your DP might have a great idea for something, and you're going to say it wasn't my idea, so we're not doing it. And it's like you're losing out on that stuff, though, just to, for what to claim everything is yours, like it just right. but then the complete opposite end of that spectrum. If you're somebody who allows everybody to contribute an idea and you say yes to everything, then it's going to feel like 20 different people made your movie, right? And there is no kind of cohesion to that. So, I think. That's kind of the director's responsibility or a big part of their responsibility is filtering that stuff out and knowing where that boundary is and saying like, that's a great idea because I understand what the big picture is. And I know that idea is in service of the bigger picture and knowing when to say no, because that feels like a cool idea to do something right now, but it kind of conflicts with the surrounding elements in the movie. Like high so, fiving uh, the
0: jester, which we never do,
1: which is rule number three, apparently. Right, right. Um, yeah, it's, it is finding finding that that balance is tricky, but it is, um, it is, it it sounds simple, but it's not. It's it's knowing what you want, and knowing knowing what you want can mean, you know. I I I know what I want this movie to be, and I know what I don't want this movie to be, and trying to figure out. Well, what is going to get me the movie that I want, and also, um, knowing when you don't know, and when when you want to ask the DP or or you know ask the the uh, head of the wardrobe department, like, what are your thoughts? You know, what do you think? And allow them to, because because Kathleen, the the head of wardrobe, she came up with some really great creative. And, and there the, the, the were creative choices that were inspired by who the actual characters were. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have been able to come up with that stuff by myself. Yeah. And so right. the fact that she was there to come up with that stuff was a huge help. But also you as the director have to know when that idea is in service of the big picture or if that idea is just a cool idea in the moment and yeah. when to kind of navigate that that stuff. Right. And maybe maybe it's a cool idea that you can alter to fill yeah what's going on but it's a it's a tricky thing that i think you're always going to kind of be figuring out.
0: Yeah, love that. Well, i want to ask you some questions i ask everybody that comes on the show uh, but first i have to ask um and you know, give us the scoop here. Um if you were to do a sequel to the movie and i know you've just got done making the movie so you're going oh god, the idea of <laughs> rolling right into another but if you were to do a a sequel to the movie one, would you want to, and then two, like, you know, if you were given a bit more time, bit more money could expand on the, the story and dive a little bit deeper into this, this, uh, this series and this character, do you have any idea where you would take it?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, well, to answer the first part of the question, I think for me, I I would want a second chance, you know? And I think uh, if I were to do another Jester film, it would allow for that. There are there there is more to tell, and that's that's also a a a thing when trying to think about sequels is is it worth it? You know, is is mm-hmm. it worth bringing any of these characters back? What more do we have to say? You right. know, it, is this just going to be something other than a retread of things we've already seen? Sure. They're, they're all 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 questions you have to consider, but I don't know. I think I think a lot of directors would probably like second chances at yeah, the think right. they've made, and uh, yeah, the the more time, a little little more resources. I think I think um, I just I I ended up really loving these characters that we made, and I think integrating them integrating their story with the jester better is something that I would definitely like to kind of challenge with a, a another film.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that is kind of key in these types of movies, like bringing in a character, especially when it's not talking, you know, Damien Leone's uh, Terrifier movies are a good example of this, like, and, you know, art is very interesting to watch, but I think Terrifier 2 did a great job of bringing in i mean I don't know where he found the <laughs> the kid and his and that girl who plays his sister but like brought in like a real heart to it and like really good characters to bring like another layer to it. I think that's huge. Um and I think that is the the path forward with any movies like this like do I resonate with these characters who are dealing with this threat that we can't fathom. Um Right. But yeah, well, um, I, I definitely want to uh, encourage people who haven't yet to go check out the film. It should be out as of the time of this release. But before I let you go, um, I want to ask you a couple of questions that I ask everybody that comes on the show. So slightly rapid fire. Uh, we got about 10 minutes. We can kind of move through these. And uh, first and foremost, what do you think is the best decade of film history?
1: Ooh, I think probably... 1975 to 1985 is probably the best is is my decade allowed to cross
0: yes I was gonna say you're a man after my own heart because I (laughs) came up with a theory literally as I was asking this question to people and thinking about my answer I always go it's half decades because I feel like every half decade reacts to the last half of the decade and so it's kind of why like 2000 to 2005 feels so grungy and nasty. And then like 2006 onward is like a lot lighter. Same with nineties, like going from Pulp Fiction and like scream. And then like by the end of it, it's like PG 13, very glossy movies, you know? Um, So yeah, I love half decades. That's, that's great. Um, Who do you think is the most underrated artist working today? This can be, you know, filmmaker, actor, any anybody you want to mention here.
1: Whoa. Man, underrated artist. Hmm. I mean, it's difficult not to mention somebody like David F. Sandberg. Just because he is he is kind of the like, oh, he's living the dream kind yeah. of thing. And I would love to see what he could do outside of a franchise he yeah. got scooped up to make a film based on his short film and yeah. then immediately was thrown into the conjuring franchise and then the shazam franchise and it's like i want to yeah. see what, what david f sandberg can do with his own stuff yeah
0: i forgot so, he was in the he got involved in the conjuring franchise after lights out that's really interesting yeah. i, fr- I Hannibal, forgot about that Hannibal creation i think is yeah. what,
1: he, what he made
0: yeah yeah definitely um what is a movie that people would be surprised to know that you enjoy?
1: I mean, I love like the 2004 Van Helsing movie. (laughs) Fair. Like that's, that's like, there's, there's movies where, you know, in, in this, in this age of like, I want to go back and revisit movies that I loved as a kid. And it's Mm -hmm. a dangerous game to play because now as a learned adult, you can go back and be like, I loved Ace Ventura. And then you watch it again. You're like, Oh no. And so you, you kind of, You you jeopardize just maybe maybe some things are best left to memory of them, but there are other things where I go back and I rewatch and I'm like, you know what, I get it. This Mm -hmm. is not great, but I love it. Yeah, (laughs) yes. Yeah, the 2004 uh, Hugh Jackman Van Helsing movie is is one of those.
0: Right. Yeah. I I grew up. I mean, I think we're I think we're similar age. I'm 28. I think you're 26. I want to.
1: Thirty. I just turned. Oh, you're 30. thirty. I thought
0: you were 26. Okay, you're yeah, older and wiser know. than I am. Then never, never mind. But I, but same thing. I close enough to say like my growing up years was a lot of like Steven Summers mummy movies and yeah. like you know League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which I love that movie. Um, <laughs> you know, and and same thing. Like I feel this. Uh, you know, I I have a fondness for the the Marvel movies of that time. Like. Daredevil and, you know, right. not Elektra, even then, not Elektra, but the Daredevil and, you know, Fantastic 4 like I loved and as a kid and um so yeah, I go back to those movies with fondness and and enjoy them a lot. And I also, you know, the 2000s for me have become my nostalgia point where it's like now I want to go back and watch that era and I like the flip yeah. phones and the primary colors and you know like it's something I like about that and I like that there were directors just having fun where it's like it's detached from yeah. franchises they're doing something goofy and crazy and they're not too serious like there's like this right. levity to them. So yeah man yeah, no, was, no no shame was, here was, at all.
1: <laughs> something like uh like movies like The Core with Aaron Eckhart or mm. Sahara with Matthew McConaughey like, I Love Sahara movies. that's a great movie. Yeah, were you were, <laughs> Yeah. Now I'm starting to I'm starting to remember all these were I, I rewatched the core a few years ago and I was mm-hmm. like, I get it. It's not yeah. like p- if, if this movie were to come out now, if, if people would probably have a lot of negative things to say about it, but yeah. it at the same time is kind of great because it's not trying to be something incredible. It's just, it's, yeah. it's, it's so functional as what it is. And right. I had a great time watching it. So what's the problem?
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. It's that junk food cinema. Like I'm going to, I'm going to dive in and just have fun for like 90 minutes, you know, which, yeah. which, yeah, there, there are tons of great movies like that. Um the movie
1: cares about its characters and what more could you ask for?
0: Exactly. Agreed. Um, tying into this, because we're talking about movies that we, we love. Um, if you were given the green light to remake any film, your next project has to be a remake. What movie are you picking to remake and why?
1: I recently thought about this because I I love the 1933 Invisible Man movie. I think out of the like main universal classic monsters, the Invisible Man is the best. I don't care what anybody has to say, that movie is the best of the like, Mm -hmm. you know, if we're looking at the original 31 Drac, 31 Frank, 35 Wolfman, I think, 33 Invisible Man is the best. It's so fun,
0: Um, and feels way ahead of its time. Like yeah, there's still stuff
1: in that where you watch and you're like, man, I don't know how they did this. I mean, I do know how they did it. A lot of work is what it was, but still, it's it's so impressive. And uh, like the the performance is great. Uh, Claude Rains as the Invisible Man, you never even see his face on screen, and he is magnetic. And the, the, the look of him is so realized. And I know that that movie has already been made several times. I recently speaking of early two thousands, uh, movies that we kind of love, even though they're not great. I, uh, rewatch hollow man.
0: Hmm. I gotta check that out. It's still, it's on my list. It's been sitting on my watch list forever. I got to finally break down and watch it.
1: Not the, uh, even the tamest Paul Verhoeven movie is still way (laughs) way more than any other person would be allowed to get away with and uh he does a really interesting take on remaking essentially the the story of the Mm -hmm. invisible man and then of course there's lee one L's 2020
0: which i thought was great totally different but really really cool
1: really great um both have their i mean you know for all the the criticisms against hollow man both have their their uh merits that make it worthy of, of retelling the story in kind of a new context. And I would like to try to make an invisible man movie. There's something about the time that those movies were made and the time they're set. And I would love to see an invisible man movie set in the original period that it takes place. And uh, I don't know, kind of, kind of seeing what you could do with a lot of the same, aesthetics we're not trying to like obviously pull so far away from the original we're trying to this is a a loving homage to the original but also not trying to do necessarily a shot shot remake just something like that I'm, i'm reminded of listening to myself ramble on about this i'm reminded of uh peter jackson when you hear him talk about king kong yeah that's the movie that that got him into wanting to make films and you can feel that watching mm-hmm. his 2005 yeah. King Kong movie. What an
0: underrated movie. I mean, what that, I know. that again, 2000s, I've been thinking <laughs> recently, like 2000 <laughs> to 2010 might be my favorite decade. Like the seventies is so easy to dive yeah. into. Cause it's just like, it's such a wild period, but like there were so many good movies. I mean, Lord of the Rings. I mean, but, but, but King Kong though is such a beautiful, beautiful movie. And is like one of the best remakes in terms of like, it gives you the same feeling of the original, but you could also watch it back to back with the original and it's its own oh, yeah. movie entirely. Yeah. Um, I, I love yeah.
1: that. It like, especially watching it back to back with the original, you see how much love there is for the original. I mean, you right. could tell probably you could tell without ever having seen the original, how much love there is for the source material. I mean, the movie's three hours long. Like you didn't want to lose any of it. But right. The, uh, you see what he decided to pull and what he decided to change and change in what ways once mm-hmm. you see them in close proximity to one another. And it just makes me appreciate what he did with that movie so much more. It's like, man, this guy got like a free pass to do what he wanted after Lord of the Rings yeah. and said, I'm going to make what I've always wanted to make, which is yeah. King Kong again. And it's like, awesome, man. Yeah, Great. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> yeah,
0: That's super cool. Um. Which of your projects do you think is best representation of you as a creator?
1: There is a project that is uh one of my favorites. And it's it's not what I expected, but every time I rewatched, I'm like, man, this is good. And it's uh we made a like a Halloween uh fan film, I guess. Mm. And it was our first time trying to make something that like this is a straight up fan film. We're not trying to do anything yeah. exactly different with the source of material, we're just we're we're copping out and we're, we're doing a fan film. And um, a lot of that short doesn't have Michael Myers in it at all. And that was something that we, we decided when writing that was, um, I don't want people to want Michael to kill these characters. I want people to know that Michael Myers is not a guy you want to show up to your house. Like, I feel like we were talking about the Friday the 13th series or, You could say that that's the trajectory of a lot of those, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, where a lot of the characters were just fodder for the real draw, which was the villain. And it's like, but they are a villain, though, and you should care about when they kill your heroes. And so we uh, I I tried really hard to make those characters as likable as possible in that short so that when Michael shows up, you don't want him to kill any of them. And that was actually a lot of the feedback we got from that short once we put it out was, man, I didn't even, I didn't want Michael to show up. I like these characters, the most likable characters in a Halloween short film I've ever seen. And it was just so like validating to have a goal yeah. before making this, which was, I want the characters in our horror short to be likable. Mm-hmm. And then to get that feedback of they were likable. It yeah. was just, uh, I don't know, it was something that we were tried to carry forward in um most of our our other projects.
0: Yeah. Um last two questions. Uh if you had to program a double feature with the gesture and uh what would you pick and why? What would be your, your option for the double feature?
1: I mean it's easy to say something like trick or treat, you know, mm. because it is the same, it's it's so aesthetically seemingly the same it's like oh we're doing a halloween flavored watch through of something but i don't know i feel like uh maybe something like the jester is I don't know, for some reason i thought about the movie whiplash a lot when making the the jester
0: interesting like
1: I, I think i think we were talking about color palettes and everything mm. Yeah. And I I see that that was that was the movie that came to mind where it's like it's not a horror movie, but it is horrifying and it is dreadfully uncomfortable. It tiptoes, yeah. Yeah, it's it's I I I love that movie a lot. And um I don't think that would be a good pair with the (laughs) Jester though, but uh I don't know. You'd you'd enjoy it though. I would enjoy. It, yeah. The jester
0: like... speaks once and all he says is, Are you rushing or dragging? You know, like that's that's the yeah, only the, time you ever get The gets jester silent. shows
1: up to throw, throw a chair at a musician. <laughs> right. The, uh, uh, I, I would probably pick a, a Mike Flanagan something. Just hmm. I think I think that would probably pair well. And not to not to be so bold to say that the jester is anywhere close in quality to any of his work, but It is definitely he is one part probably the biggest inspiration for Mm. the type of film that we were trying to make.
0: Awesome. Um, Last question, no pressure, but this could change someone's life. Uh, What's the best piece of advice you would give to an aspiring filmmaker who is listening to this?
1: Just make stuff. Don't give up. You you have to don't make stuff with the expectation that something like this is going to happen. You know, because we didn't we didn't have that expectation. I think the thing that that got us to where we are now is that we we love making movies, and I know it sounds like an obvious thing what I'm saying, but Mike and I kind of coined our own little phrase that we use with one another when we sometimes interact with other local filmmakers. Is this person? It becomes clear that this person doesn't want to make movies; they want to have movies. They want to mm-hmm. have movies that they could say that they've made without going through the process of making them. And so, a lot of the production is They don't care about it. They don't care about the technical aspect. They don't care about the storytelling aspect. They just want to have something that they can show and promote online and promote their name. And we love the the doing of it. We love the the telling of the story. We love the the technical stuff. We love making movies. And I think, if I may be so bold to say that I think that passion comes through in our work. And I think that the jester wouldn't be. Uh, what it is in the the shorts? If we if we didn't love that character before anybody else did, so before anybody can love your work, I think you have to. And, um, if you're lucky, you know things will fall into place. And if not, you will still be doing something that you love.
0: No, yeah, love that advice. Love that advice. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation. Uh, I know we could probably riff on uh. Early two thousands cinema for another <laughs> uh, another hour it seems like, uh, oh, but uh, no, I re- I really appreciate it. Congratulations on landing a, a movie like it's it's absolutely great, um, and I think you're a a testament to people really putting in the work and creating content. You know, and I, as much as I hate throwing out that word, creating content and creating you know creating things that people can watch and consume and and turning into something that, you know, probably you never expected, it sounds like from our conversation. So, um, yeah, yeah, really appreciate it. Look forward to what you're doing next. Look forward to seeing you keep doing bigger and better things. And, uh, you know, just please come back on the show, uh, even when you land your, your Marvel franchise, you know. Keep the oh, communication open. So. Thanks for listening to the Film School Podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, don't forget to leave a five star review and hit subscribe so you won't miss a single episode.